In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading by reading verses 2 to verse 16. Listen as I read God's word. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God that are in Jesus Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as to always fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray. We'll begin to consider God's word together today. Lord, as we come before you and really come together in opening your word, this is such a blessed time for us as we gather here in the name of Jesus Christ, as we open up your word, which is the word of truth, which is the word of life, wisdom. There's no place else that we can go to find out who is God, what is God's gospel, what is God's will. There is no place else that we can go to find correction for our understandings, strength against temptation, um, uh, weapons to battle against the onslaught of the enemy. God, we know are so thankful for the word that you've given us, and as we consider something of the richness of your word today, God, I would ask that your spirit would grant for each of us who, is he, who are here uh, to receive your word, to receive it in our hearts and in our minds, uh, for your spirit then to take that received word and stir it up, Lord, to faithfulness and good works and a life that so loves and seeks after you. Lord, bless what we consider this day for the good of your people who are gathered here, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, at this section in, in, the, in our study, it's interesting because what I'm taking us to is we've seen the gospel has come to them, and we've seen the different things that have been unfolding. Now this morning, a little bit different than what we do each week, tonight I'm focused, or today I'm focusing in on a a phrase and a thought that's within this section, and we're going to see that thematically developed in a number of different places in Scripture. Okay? So, so we're going to see a crucial and important and maybe too oft overlooked truth in this passage, and the, then see the importance and consistency that God's Word gives to that truth. Okay? So it's not we're going to start with a verse and then jump to a bunch of stories, anecdotes, and illustrations. We're starting with a key passage of Scripture that's going to drive us to other passages of Scripture to, to open it up and make it clearer for us. What I want us to see is this. When he went, uh, this is the Apostle Paul, when he went to Thessalonica, as was the case with pretty much every place he went, he went with, to them with one simple thing. And it tells us there in verse 13 what he went to them with. 
he went to them with the word of God. In Corinthians, it stated this with the word of the cross. With the word of Christ. With the word of the gospel. With the word of truth. Stated any other way, what he went to them with was the word. There were times that Paul and those who were traveling with him would enter into the synagogues. And they would be in the synagogues every single Sabbath reasoning from the scriptures with those who were gathered there, seeking through the scriptures to persuade them, to instruct them, to inform them that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one we've been waiting for. Our hope of righteousness, our hope before God, it's not in the law. It's not in law doing and it's not in law keeping. It is in Christ alone. He is our hope. He is the fulfillment of the law. And actually what he does by his grace is he enables a, a, a level of faithfulness and obedience in us that the law did not know. The law, because of our flesh, only increased the trespass. But Christ sets us free, not only from the condemnation of the law, he sets us free from the power of sin. And what I want us to begin to see, what's amazing, is the way that God does this. The way that God is pleased to work so powerfully and so mightily in the lives and hearts and minds of his people is through his word. Now, maybe, I, you know, it seems like a very simple thing, and it is a very simple thing to say. But we need to grasp it on a deeper level and commit to it with, with a clear understanding. I want us to see what it says here. He came to them with the word of God, verse 13, which you heard from us, and you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. He, there, are, there are really two different kinds of, of words in this world. And only two. Even whatever might, uh, might be the efforts of the enemy, those end up being ultimately the words of man. There is the word of God and there is everything else. And they came to them bringing the word of God. But what I want us to know is this. Not only did they receive it as the word of God, for what it really is, it says the word of God, end of verse 13, which is at work in you believers. That's the idea that I really want us to focus on today. The word at work. Because it's a very important principle for us to understand. The power of, of God's word and God's spirit working within us is what produces everything else. That's why when the scripture says the thing that matters is not circumcision or uncircumcision, but faith working through love. Okay, so faith works itself out in a loving expression to others, a love to God that, that lends to obedience to His will and commandments, a love to others that involves self-sacrificial service and engagement and involvement in one another's lives. But listen, that's faith working through love. Where did faith come from? We're going to just go back a little bit. Faith works itself out in our lives, but what works faith in us? Listen, when he came with the word of the gospel, 
When he came with the word of God, they received it as the word of God. And regarding the word of God, he says this, which is at work in you believers. The word of God is not a dormant thing. It is a powerful, living, and active thing empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, I want us to begin to see things. First of all, this, the origin of our faith by grace through the working of the Spirit comes in the declaration of the Word. No one is saved apart from the hearing of the gospel. Romans chapter 10 is one of those most powerful presentations. It says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which is wonderful. But then it says, but who has and who will call upon the name of the Lord? Well, no one will unless what? Someone goes and preaches. Someone must be sent. Someone must go forth with the word of the cross, with the word of Christ, with the word of the gospel, and declare that, that people would hear it. Because what, what we come down to as, as the scriptures unfold in Romans chapter 10, it says in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. So how does, how does it begin? The wonderful experience of the salvation that God brings in the hearts of people begins with the word. The faithful and true and clear preached word of God and the word of God produces what? Faith. It imparts by the working of the spirit of God faith. That's why I became a believer. That's you became a believer. And whether men recognize it or not, that's how everyone who's ever become a true believer became a The gospel was preached to them, and in the preaching of the gospel, the Spirit accompanied that gospel and produced faith. What's interesting, it, 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 that, that verse that I read, faith comes from is, is added there to help in English. It's, it's really faith of hearing. Because there is a sense in which, okay, the word can be preached. Not all can. Jesus used to use those words at the ends of many of his teachings. It seems confusing when you read it on the surface. Jesus would often say, he who has let him hear to which you can imagine everybody who's gathered around listening to Jesus' message uh yeah we all have these things there's not a single one of us without an ear and the only reason we're gathered here is because we can hear he's urging them no 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 not just you hear the sound of it not just that you the words of it but you might hear it with true comprehension and full conviction well it is through the word that even hearing is granted it is through the hearing that's granted that faith is granted and it is through the faith that's granted that we have life and salvation and a whole host of glorious transforming works of God Let, it, what's interesting is 
when we see this, um, in John chapter 3, verse 26, whoever believes the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. Here's the challenge. We teach and we preach. But the scriptures remind us of this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross, the word of truth, the word of the gospel, the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to who? Those who are perishing. So the same message is preached and these people rubbish, not interested, means nothing to me, don't want it. Or they still value it so insignificantly. See, uh, there's a lot of people who like themselves believers. I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. And they say, I, I don't consider the word of God just foolishness, just uselessness. But do you consider it enough value and enough truth that it's absolutely going to change every decision you now make? Or do you esteem it less foolish, vain, empty, worth? It says that the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. But listen, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of God? Word of the cross. Through the word of the cross, the, the faithful word preached, the power of God is displayed, and it what? It saves us. Look with me further. Back in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, he reminds them, when our gospel came to you, it came not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. What is absolutely? Absolutely necessary divine working of word and spirit. We've got to be cautious and careful of anyone who wants to run away from any of those things. Remember, as Jesus engaging with that, that woman at the well, and she's wondering about certain particulars and certain details. Do we worship here? Do we worship in Jerusalem? Do we worship on the mountain? How, how is going to be. And Jesus explains to her, look, the time is coming and now is when those who worship God will worship in truth and in spirit. We have the word of God, the word of truth. Indeed, the scriptures even refer to it as the word of truth. In John chapter 17, 17, the scriptures that Jesus cries out to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. The word is truth. To worship in truth and spirit. Now, the, the thought that we could do without either of them. The thought that we can somehow, just through the exercise of our intelligence and approaching the scripture as, as literature and as wise moral material, to embrace the truth. But that kind of mere assent or embrace in the mind and intellect does, is not what is needed. That does not transform a life. That is not the power of God. When the word of truth is accompanied with the spirit of truth, then life and power takes place. 
And we've got to see how this continues to unfold. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said these words, It is the Spirit that gives life. Well, is it the Word that gives life, or is it the Spirit that gives life? Well, it is the Spirit that gives life through the Word. Jesus said, it is the Spirit that gives life, John 6, 63. The flesh is no help at all, which means neither the person speaking, the person speaking, no help at all, right? I'm flesh, I'm no help at all. You are of the flesh, so you're no help at all. So where does that leave us? In need of help. And where are you going to find that help? The spirit is life. The flesh is no help at all still. John 6, 63. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So this is what's so important and missed by certain groups. The powerful working of the Spirit of God, so mightily in the church, so mightily in the hearts and minds of men, isn't, be ready for this, it isn't from the guitar. It isn't from the drums. It isn't from the piano. It isn't from the music. It isn't from any of those kinds of things. Things. Those are us pouring out our hearts in worship. But the way that the Spirit so powerfully works in His people is through the Word. The Word that is at work in believers. Reminded of this, and don't forget this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, God's word says this. Paul says to that church at Corinth, it says, we impart words not taught with human wisdom, but taught by God, in the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And he goes on to say this in verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person, which is who? Every single one of us, as we're ordinarily born into this world, until we are changed by the Spirit of God through the hearing of the gospel, we are just natural people. It says the natural person, the natural man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And we, some of us have experienced this. And some of us have seen this in our own families and in, in, in the people we, we love. The gospel has been preached. Or maybe a sermon is preached. And the word of God is unfolded and our hearts are stirred and impassioned and excited. And you look at the person next to you. And here you are maybe overflowing with, with an excitement and zeal about the truth of God's word and about the power of the way it works. And the person next, the same message that is, is giving you energy and vitality for the guy over here, it's sleepy time. Does it happen? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the same message to which you, one, one person says, this is the core of all the universe we find the foundation for all hope and all truth and and, and everything that is certain in christ I, I i get it 
Another person says, what do you mean? How, how can you believe? And, and, and the other one says, how can you not believe that? And it just goes back and forth, and there's just no middle ground. Because the one person, the Spirit of God has come to them and given them understanding. And they say, oh, I, not only do I believe these things, I love them and I'm going to live for them. And the other person says, you're nuts. How can you believe that? And, and this person says, how can you not? It's so true. It's so powerful. And the difference is, until the Spirit of God comes, nobody's going to get it. Let's see a, a little bit more. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter came in, in verse 44, Peter comes in the house of Cornelius. What is he doing there in that house? He is sharing to them the gospel. And while he is preaching the word, the Spirit of God fell on them, on all who heard the word this is just it's, this is just such an important thing as much as we do want and long for powerful movings and powerful manifestations of the holy spirit of god the way that he does those powerful movings the way that he works so mightily is through the influence of his word in our hearts, in our lives, and in our minds. So dangerous when we try to separate these things uh, that cannot, must not, ever be separated. Not only would I say that the origin, clearly the scripture speaks to the origins of our faith. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 16, it would, be, it would say this. People were trying to hinder Paul. It says they were, by hindering us, from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Because what does salvation come apart from speaking? No, it doesn't. That message has to be declared. And this is his confidence that if it's not spoken, none will be saved. And when it is spoken, where the Spirit of God comes bringing life and conviction. Powerful things happen. But what I want us to see this, not only is the Word at work taking us from death to life, darkness to light, right? Sinful slaves to ransomed, redeemed freed from sin that we might now serve God. What a powerful thing. But not only does it begin that work, but I want us to see that the, the word of God is what is at work in believers, not only on the day of salvation, but moving forward. Too many times I meet a, good, a brother or sister in Christ uh, and, and, and they will be going through a season of struggles Maybe a, a season where they're, they're really not excited about truth. A season where they're not passionate. And, and, they, and, and they're in that condition that they remember the time where their zeal was stirred up. That's a sad place to be. And, and they, they 
Remember occasions where they had greater desire to go to church. They had more interest in the hearing of the word of God, but that has somehow slowly begun to fade. And they're wondering, what happened? And it's, it's very frequent that I can have conversations with them and say, tell me about your time in the word. What do you mean my time in the word? Do you, do you spend much time? Do you, do, you, do you pray and then open your scriptures and, and, and read God's living word? Do, do you take in that richness on a daily basis? Well, uh, not, not every day. I mean, um, you know, and, and the excuses begin and the thoughts begin. And, and I think, and, and again, not, not for judgment's sake I'm saying this, but the scriptures refer to uh, the, the, the word itself as the pure milk, the pure spiritual milk. It's also, as we grow into it, considered that wonderful meat. Isn't it right? And the thought is often this, someone can find themselves, oh no, it's Sunday, last Sunday to this Sunday, I forgot to open my Bible and read it at any point in time. Oh well, let me try to remember to do it tomorrow. Well, what I've probably never seen, that, that happens a lot. What I've almost never seen is this. Oh my, today's Sunday. I completely forgot to eat all week. I mean, since last Sunday, I, just, I, I forgot to think about food. I went a whole week without eating. What, what is the wrong with me? Has that ever happened to you? I don't think so. Because what begins to happen? Now, see, what, what's, what's so interesting is the flesh and the spirit are kind of opposite in these things. The flesh, if you don't eat, what happens? You get hungry. We all, we all have done that. And so the longer you go without eating, the greater the sense and the greater the stirrings of hunger pains. Strangely enough, with the word, it seems to work the opposite. The more you take of the word, the more your hunger for it increases. And the more you lay it aside, the less significant and important you feel that it is. And so you know, I wish it wasn't that way. For my sake and for yours, I wish that if we were uh, getting caught up in all of the uh, ordinary things of life, that we were neglecting the word of God and neglecting uh, the sweet and powerful spirit influences through the word. Uh, that if we went to, uh, to evening without it, we'd be like, I, I got to eat, give me my Bible. You know, it'd be nice if it was that way, wouldn't it? Because it would keep us going in that direction. But what's interesting is this, someone says, you know, I, I, I just don't have that passion, I just don't have that drive, I just don't have that desire. The Spirit will work that afresh within you. But the Spirit works that afresh within you through the Word. Get in there and feast on the Word. 
listen to it, take it in, enjoy it, indulge in it. In this particular passage, listen, uh, it is not only the origins of faith, but the ongoing reality of faith. The word at work within them, the word at work among the Gentiles would save them. But even here in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, the word of God, which is at work in you believers, for you brothers, became imitators of the church of God. The word saved you, and then the word did what? It transformed you. You used to imitate what? The world and everyone around you. And now, somehow, you imitate the churches who are persevering in faithfulness even in the midst of conflict. But of course, I said somehow. He doesn't say somehow. He explains the how. How is this happening? Because the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That's how you became imitators. It's through the ongoing work of the word of God. You who began with the spirit, it says to the church at Galatia, what do you do now? Well, I didn't begin, I didn't begin with the spirit. I began by hearing the gospel. If you heard the gospel and responded in faith, brother and sister, you began with the Spirit. <laughs> that's what the Word of God tells us. And if that's how you began, how do you continue? The same way you began, through the Word and the Spirit. The Word is life-giving. The Word is life-transforming. I just want us to see this. The Word of God, it's, it's not just it's not just a word for the day where you pop it open, you drop your finger and you read a verse and say, this is my verse for the day. I've just taken my spiritual vitamin. That doesn't work. That's not the idea of it. it see, it takes no effort, no engagement to take a vitamin, does it? I don't have to think to myself as I take a vitamin. Now, this has a B complex and this has a C and this has a... And I am now appropriating those vitamins into, do we do that? I've never done that. And even if you did, I don't think it would help you. Because that's not how it works. Well, people will think that they can go over to the scriptures and, and take it like a vitamin. Boom. I've read that verse. Sometimes, and it's happened to you, I'm sure, you've started reading, you've got to the bottom of the page, and you were thinking about something over there. And you can't remember a thing that you just read. But you, you know what you might be doing? Finish my chapter for the day. Woo. Wait a second. The goal isn't just to finish your chapter for the day, is it? No, you've got, you want to take in the Word of God. It is a powerful, it is a living and active thing. Uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 23, it says this. Since you have been born again, not of the imperishable, of the perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. That's wonderful, right? How was I born again? Through the living and abiding word of God. God, by his spirit, planted that within me and gave me life. 
Now what else does it? We're, we're also told this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Many of us have memorized these verses. It says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, it is able to divide the thoughts and the intents and the motives, and it lays us bare before God. The Word of God reveals to us, Oh no, these things aren't right. Oh yes, this is what Christ did. Oh yes, these things are pleasing and acceptable in His sight. Oh no, I am undone. But oh yes, I am forgiven. Right? And so, so you've, got, you've got this wonderful, rich life of God's Word in us. It is living and active. It's not like any other book. It's not a story. It's not a myth. It is wonderful. And, and the idea of it is, is so powerful. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said this to the Jews. Right? They had, in some sense, assented. I think he might be. I think he's a powerful prophet. Jesus said to those who uh, believe in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. Wait a second. Shouldn't Jesus have said, if you abide in me? Why did he say, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple? Should we give Jesus a theology lesson? Never! Because maybe we need the lesson. When we abide in Christ, how do we abide in Him? By abiding in His Word. And by His Word abiding in us. That's why it, the, the Scriptures continue to tell us things like... Uh, like they do in, in John chapter 15, as we're encouraged to abide in his word, and that his word will abide in us. Now I want to move on and show, show us a few things about, first of all, the living, active, and abiding word by the power of the Spirit does three very clear things. And I'm, let me tell you these things, and then I will establish them for you from the scriptures. One who you are right secondly it changes what you know and thirdly it changes what you do okay now I could have added more in there but I'm trying to make it as simple as possible for memory's sake when it changes who you are and it changes what you know, it has changed how you think. When it changes who you are and it changes what you do, it has changed how you live. You think differently and you live differently because the Word of God, by the power of the Spirit, changed who you are, it changes what you know, and it changes what you do. Now let me show you how it changes what you are. Remember, you are born again. By this living and abiding word. We just saw that. And we're told this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does it say? He is a new 
creation. That natural person that you were, the natural man, imitating the world, living like the world, rejecting the things of God, that person is done. That person is, in a sense, he died with Christ. And that person no longer lives. Now I live in Christ. And this new life that I have is absolutely and utterly changed. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, that we are those who have put on the new self. This is the grace of God. We are not who we were. As we often realize, tragically, we're not yet what we will be. What will we be? Like Christ, when we see him face to face, we will be like him. We are, but we're not what we were. We're not yet what we will be. But who we are is a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that, that new creation in Christ Jesus is totally different in its desires, in its love, in its life than before. And its direction is now in that direction of what we will be. It says, and have put on the new self, verse, chapter 3, verse 10 of Colossians, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge, after the image of its creator. That's where I'm headed, to be like my creator. Everything that was created was created through him. Without him was nothing made that was made. John chapter 1 concerning Christ. So my creator, my Christ, my savior, I am being renewed in his image. I am being made, transformed to be more like him. And how is that happening? Through the word, through knowledge. Being renewed in knowledge. So it, it's, it's not in the idea of just run away from the world and join a cloister somewhere in a hidden valley. Will that make me more like Christ? Well, Christ didn't live in the cloister. Christ lived in the midst of sinful men. He lived in the midst of persecutors and, and uh, deniers, accusations and attacks. Christ lived in the world. It's he who we are striving by grace to be like. But what I want to say changes who we are, that now we're in Christ, we are a new creation, and it changes what we know. Because we're giving ourselves by his grace to the word. Um, we're reminded of things like this. In Romans chapter 10, verse 2 and 3, Paul is uh, really in verse 1 and following Romans 10, Paul is talking about how much he longs for uh, his fellow Jews to come to a knowledge of the truth. He longs for them to be saved. And in verse 2, he says this, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish a righteousness of their own, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. What, is, what was lacking? What has caused them to do the wrong things and pursue the wrong ideas? A lack of knowledge. 
Now, where did, the, where did we receive the knowledge that the righteousness of God is by faith for those who believe? Is in, rooted in Christ. Where do we get that knowledge? From the scriptures itself. So it is that knowledge that, that moves us to where we ought to be. Now, this is why there's a danger. There can be groups of people who, who we will not fault their zeal. And maybe we will look at their zeal sometime and wish we had zeal like they did. But some groups so committed to zeal and fervency and experience of God, they, they pursue it by not asking God how that looks and seeking God what's that like, but, but by looking around and saying, what sounds good? What feels good? What is desirable? What moves me? A zeal that's not accompanied with knowledge can lead to what? Wrong ideas that are dangerous. And careful, the scripture, and this is the, the amazing thing, the scriptures, they don't raise up knowledge and, and the word at the expense of the spirit, nor the other. They don't raise up the spirit at the expense of knowledge and the word. It's actually the reality is the powerful working of the spirit works through the word, bringing us knowledge. That these things all work together in the in our lives um in colossians chapter 1 verse 9 and following he says this and so from the day we heard it, this is paul to the Colossae, we have not ceased praying for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. And here's our transition. The Spirit brings faith in the knowledge of Christ, in the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. This, this uh, knowledge that He gives us through the Word doesn't simply lie in our cabbage. It absolutely permeates our being because you see the, that you would have knowledge of his will and all spiritualism and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, I won't go around the room and ask this. So who's walking, living every moment in a manner worthy of the Lord? Now, the reason I'm not going around the room is because no one could raise their hand. No one could say, yeah, that's me. But what, the, 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 the struggles that we're having, to the shortcomings, the deficiencies, which are there in all of us, you know how we grow and overcome and make progress? Through spiritual knowledge and wisdom and discernment. And so I need to know more of God's word, know more of his grace, know more of his strength, know more of his power, because this is how it works. Now look, look at what it says. Um, it changes what we do. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I have so much I want to say. I'm trying to figure out how to abbreviate. In in. In 2 Corinthians 3, it is the passage about the glory of the new covenant. 
And in that passage, it's telling down in verse 13 or so, that when the gospel, when Moses is read, which is when the scriptures are read, the Old Testament scriptures are read to the Jews, there is a veil that's covering their eyes. The scripture is read and they say, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't see it. I don't understand it. But then the, the scripture goes on to say this, and that was verse 13. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When in the hearing of the gospel, the Spirit of God grants you understanding, reveals to you the glory of Christ, you are moved genuinely. You actually repent. You actually turn. You actually begin to seek after the Lord. Why? Because the Spirit has come and brought life. And when you have, when you turn, practically, because the Spirit of God has now delivered you, truly, in delivering you, you turn, what does it say? That veil is removed. So what? Now where the, where the, now just so you know that when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Well, well how does one turn? So if I turn, well, Here's how one turns, the very next verse tells you. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So who, who is going to have the strength and the, the ability and the freedom and the desire to turn? Only where the spirit is. <laughs> Only where the spirit of the Lord is. And then what happens? Verse 18, and we all who have the spirit, now with unveiled faces, so that when the scriptures are read, what? Behold the glory of God. We are now enabled to understand the scriptures that are there. And so it's not like there's a veil lying over our faces. That veil is now gone. And as the scriptures are, are being read and taught, what's happening? It says, are being transformed into the same image. Okay. Uh, what, it's important, this idea. So... I am being transformed. I am not transforming myself. But how am I being transformed? Through the intake of the glorious word of God by the power of the Spirit. As I gaze upon it, as Colossians says, as I let the word of Christ dwell richly in me. But you can't let the word of Christ dwell richly in you unless what? You take it in. You, you get to be active in the taking of in, taking of it in, active in the, in the praying that God would grant you the grace and open your heart and open your eyes. And then you get to, to experience this powerful inward work as the Spirit begins to change your desires, cause you to want to put off those fleshly things, cause you to want to do those things that are pleasing in his sight, the, the fruit of righteousness. He, he, he works that glorious transformation by the power of his word. And so, um, really I would say uh, part of the concern 
in these things comes out this way. I'm going to just bring it to a, somewhat of a conclusion. If someone says, look, I just don't have the power to overcome this sin. I just don't have the real desire to change. There are too many people who think, well, I, I, I mean, I grew up in a Christian church. I, I, I was baptized. I did this. And, I, you know, I, um, but I don't know. I just don't have the will and strength to live for Christ. Don't deceive yourself. You may not have the Spirit of God. You may not be born again. Cry out to God for His mercy that he would take that gospel truths that you have heard and he would give you life by his living word. If you are struggling to put aside and overcome temptation, where are you going to find strength? Where, if, if you're not satisfied with the progress you're making in godliness, where are you going to find that? By the powerful working of the Spirit through his living and active word. One simple thing is this. Someone says, well, maybe I'm tempted to a particular sin. I'm tempted to do this. What if, instead of doing that, you went to the word? Pretty sure if you went to the word, you wouldn't do that. Correct? Yeah, because you're doing something else. What are you doing? The word. The reality is that there is, there is not neutrality. You're either seeking the things of the world or you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's nobody who's just standing there. We're all going somewhere. And sometimes it's important to take stock of where I'm going. And if I'm not going where the scripture says I should be going... And I need to yield to God's clear and designed means, his word and spirit. And if that's not working, the only way that it would not be working is if you have not the life of the spirit of God within you. Because you're trying, you're trying to get him to transform your life when you have not yet experience life in Christ. You need to be made alive before your life can be transformed. Oh, that God's grace would help us. And here, and the, we have those warnings in Matthew chapter seven towards the end, it says of the person who built his house, the one who hears but does not do, so what, like he builds his house on the sand. When the storm comes, it falls apart. But the one who hears and does the words of Christ is like the one who built it on the rock and it stands. The same kinds of warnings we get over in the book of James, don't we? Uh, what kind of person uh, looks in the mirror, sees that things are not as they should be? You know, my hair is messed up, I've got smudges all over my face, and they walk away leaving it just like that. No, generally speaking, you know, people, uh, do whatever they can while looking in the mirror 
to make those adjustments and those changes. The Word of God has that kind of effect and, and to, to see ourselves as the, as the two-edged sword cuts into us and say, eh, it's all right. That's not, that's not how we are. Now, there's a sense in which someone could say, well, it's all right because I'm forgiven. Well, <laughs> no, it, it's more like this. Because I'm forgiven and because my glorious Savior loves me and has given me his spirit, it matters. I want to, to be transformed into his beauty and into his character. All right, well, let me pray. Lord, it is an amazing thought, even, even as it is simple, that the originating work of faith is the work of the Spirit in the Word. It is also, Lord, to us an amazing consideration that the ongoing work of faith and a life of faithfulness is through the Spirit and the Word. Lord, we thank you that you have indeed given us all things that are necessary for life and godliness. Lord, we pray that we would make full use of that rich privilege. You've given us your Word and for those of us who are in Christ, you've given us your spirit that we might really uh, grow in grace and knowledge all of our days. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling, those who have found themselves stumbling. I pray that they would yield to defeat no longer, knowing that the grace to destroy and overcome the enemy is granted to them. Lord, we thank you for the, the certainty even those words in 1 John to the young men, you are strong because the word abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. Lord, we know that your grace is great and sufficient. And we give you all the glory and we thank you that you've given us your spirit and your word without measure. We long to know you more, to see you, to glorify you, to live for you, to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.